All right. Well, it's good to be together. It's good to see you. It's good to be in God's house with God's people this morning. I hope, I hope God blesses you as you hear the word of God today. I want to speak to you just for a moment. If you're not a believer here today, I always like to address people who are exploring the Christian faith, investigating it, and it might be difficult for you to figure out, what, where are we? We're in this book of Galatians. What's happening? How do I get oriented to what's happening here? And so um, just by way of a quick rehearsal, reminders that really what we are about is um, as a church, um, we are about the rehearsing and remembering the gospel every time we gather. Um, I hope that you've already heard the gospel several times um, don't just hear the gospel in preaching. You've heard the gospel in song and prayer. And uh, so I hope that's uh, true. Uh, but we're not here. I want to make sure we're, we're clear. We're not here because of our moral achievement. Again, if you're not a Christian here today, it's really important for us to communicate that to you. When you think about the Ten Commandments, all of us have shattered the Ten Commandments. Um, uh, all of us have failed God's perfect standard. So we are here um, as those who have received the grace of God, and only the grace of God qualifies us to be present. And now we're in the process of recovering from our selfishness and our inward bent, the all-about-me type stuff that uh, we are so used to. We are in the process of changing, and so uh, if you're visiting and just kind of checking the church out, or um, you're, you're just sort of investigating Christianity, really, we're on display, <laughs> and uh, you're going to probably see uh, some messiness, and you'll probably see inconsistencies uh, in what we profess, but we are on the way to recovery, and, and the recovery looks like a, a great esteem for God. God now is returning to his rightful place, and something else that's beautiful, beautiful going on is man is returning to his rightful place. The people around you are, are people made in the image of God, uh, the people you, you, uh, you don't like driving behind on the highway are made in the image of God. And to esteem others is, is one of the goals of, of our recovery, to rightly esteem them, to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so that's just sort of a, a quick review kind of where we are. Now, the Galatians uh, were caught up in... Uh, a sad event, and the Apostle Paul, in his apostolic love, comes and corrects them. They, the event that they were pursuing, the, the, what had happened to them was that they began to pursue uh, righteousness through religious achievement. So they were listening to this group of people that have been nicknamed Judaizers, and they were following the Apostle Paul, and they were accusing Paul of being a wimp. Imagine that. Uh, and Paul is afraid of people, and he really doesn't want to tell Gentiles the real truth about what it means to follow Jesus. And what it means to follow, Je- what it means to follow Jesus is that you have to be a Jew also. And you have to adhere to Jewish customs and Jewish laws. And Paul, he knows Gentiles don't like this. So he doesn't tell them about circumcision and these other things. And, well, the truth is you're fully accepted, only fully accepted by God, if you begin to practice and become uh, a Jew and begin to practice uh, Judaist, Judaistic um, traditions and laws. Well, Paul gives many answers to that in the opening chapters of Galatians. And this is a legalism. It's called the Galatian heresy. And uh, 
And so uh, what we have now is Paul is reminding them that through Jesus you've been set free. And now you've got to enter into that freedom. And the freedom is granted to us by and through the power of the Spirit who has applied redemption to us. And he has freed us from the law's condemnation. The law condemns us first. And the Spirit now has come and illuminated the Word of God to the Galatians. And Paul is reminding them that the stat, their status before the law is that the law now no longer condemns them. They are free. In fact, they are so free that the Spirit of God has now been, uh, they, has, uh, they have been adopted into God's family. Their status is no longer a slave who's sort of groveling and trying to figure out how they can be better. They have been adopted and they are sons and daughters of the living God and the Spirit of God, Galatians 4, 5, has been poured into their hearts by which they cry out this intimate, intimate expression, Abba, Daddy, Father, like a child would call out to their own father. And so this is a remarkable status that the Galatians had completely turned away from and forgot. So the grace of God now is... Uh, moving in the Apostle Paul, and he's giving application. And so these are little one-line one zingers, two-line zingers of this is what it looks like to move into the transformation that we call, we call sanctification. All right, sanctification. And uh, I love the Heidelberg Catechism. I think it's question 113 that says of this process of sanctification, the holiest of men make very little progress. <laughs> and, and then it says, but uh, they don't obey just some of the commands. They actually make progress in all of the commands. You can look that up. That's quite, quite remarkable. The holiest of men uh, don't make a great deal of progress, but we make progress. Wow. So, now let's look at our text today. Now, we had the, the fruit of the Spirit, Described in verse 22 and 23. Uh, and then an, an insight into what it means to walk with the Spirit in verse uh, 24. Take a look at it there. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And then I want you to notice verse 25. I think these two are connected. If we live by the Spirit... And I want to connect those two thoughts right there. If you are crucifying the flesh, I'm going to propose that this is what it means to live by the Spirit. That these two things are going hand in hand. Uh, what the flesh is, it is the residual effects of sin in you. Okay? Uh, do you find yourself um, cranky? At times, do you find yourself cranky to the point that you begin to complain to others? Do you find yourself blaming others for what is happening inside you? Do you find yourself um, looking outward continually for the source of the problem that's happening in you? But actually, the problem is happening in you, and the outward circumstances are just an occasion to manifest what is already in you 
And so uh, someone doesn't make you do anything. Someone doesn't make you mad. We are already mad. (laughs) And we are choosing the pleasure of being angry. See, anger really can function as an example of the flesh. In fact, fits of anger is a description of the flesh. Verse 19, chapter 5. Fits of anger. And we think about anger, uh, angry people really feel they have, this is kind of like how I, I feel energy when I'm angry. This is how I live, man. This is kind of what makes life work for me, and I get things done because I am just angry. And so the flesh is this place of deep patterns and habits, things that we have become accustomed to, feel we have a right to. And you can look over that list there in verse 19 and see the, particularly the relational mm, challenges, let's put it that way, that happen when the flesh is, is, in, is enacted be beautiful in your marriage to be able to honestly talk about your own fleshly tendencies you're safe in jesus you're completely justified through faith alone uh your spouse probably knows your flesh better than you do um and your flesh is really excuse me your spouse (laughs) is really your the sanctifying machine (laughs) and they're kind of they're kind of like there and you're on display. And they are catching on to how you interact with the world. And maybe they could become a partner with you on this journey of sanctification. Uh, maybe they could begin to, you could begin to say, yeah, this is just a fleshly tendency I have. And would you pray for me? I can feel it coming on. I can feel myself um, moving this way, I, I want to condemn, I want to be divisive, I want to, you know, um, you know, it's been said, I've said it so many times, in marriage it's very difficult to be right. It's very difficult to be right because what do we tend to do? We want to bol- bolster our, ourselves, show how righteous we are when we were right about something. Hard to throttle down, hard to, to play that low-key So I'm going to suggest that, and I've wrestled with this quite a bit, is that if we live by the Spirit, verse 25, I'm going to suggest that that's connected to this idea of crucifying the flesh. And that is actually how we are making progress and maturing in the Christian life. We are, we are moving in the power of the Spirit to defeat the power of sin. That's interesting that the Spirit of God is often, and you can think of different groups, different denominations, different emphases of the Spirit. This is sort of like the deep work of the Spirit. Not spectacular. Not incredible manifestations of something miraculous. It's actually kind of, kind of I don't know, kind of humbling, um, producing gentleness. You know, where does that fit in? church life. Gentleness. Do you know that Paul told Timothy that even with heretics, the 
the man of God, the, the minister, really referring to, the minister is to correct a heretic with gentleness. Interesting. You get all fired up. Just gentleness. So when you think about the Spirit's working, the Spirit's working is actually very, very low-key. The Spirit works in, how about the word kindness? Just kindness. The Spirit works, I'm just looking at the list of the, the fruit of the Spirit here. How about just patience? Patience with people. The Spirit working with, look at the word faithfulness. Those are kind of those are things that don't sort of make it on the, the you know the stage in front of the church. You know how do you, how do you mark that? How do you notice that? It's something that just takes place over time. Oh, and then of course the beautiful expression, self control. Just imagine this Trinity Church again. Expressions of self control. That's the Spirit. That's walking with the Spirit. That is the, of course, the opposite would be the self let loose. The self shares all its opinions. The self is free, and the self is, and imagine the damage that is done. The Spirit is working among you to see the value of putting to death the flesh. And you see this pattern in all the epistles when Paul has laid down the gospel by way of reminders, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, and then 4, 5, and 6 is application. It's interesting that usually the application has something to do with dying. He tells the Colossians, you have been raised with Christ, Colossians 3, 1. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated seated at the right hand of God and then he he says your life you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God Colossians 3 3 and then Colossians 3 5 put to death what is earthly in you anybody have stuff that's earthly in you Walking with the Spirit. Walking with the Spirit. Notice some of the issues that might have been going on in the Galatian church. Look at verse 26. 526. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's just a short list. It's not meant to be exhaustive. It's a relational gauge. Let us not be, right? And what, what's being described here is a church where doctrinal purity and doctrinal truth, gospel doctrine, good gospel doctrine, is synchronizing with gospel culture. Wherever the gospel is faithfully taught and where faith is engaging in the gospel in Jesus, what, what is produced is a gospel culture. 
a relational way of being that is beautiful. It's welcoming. It embraces sinners. It embraces the strugglers. It is a welcoming ministry, and it has a beautiful relational quality. Have you ever been in uh, a church setting where there is gospel truth proclaimed, but it's not syncing up with, with a relational culture? Notice that Paul has, in Galatians, he has set them back on the right track with what the gospel is, and he has gone after areas where you might provoke someone else by preaching the gospel. He's gone after areas where you might produce, or at least envy could be produced in the heart. He's gone after areas where conceit could be established. The gospel goes after these three examples or these three areas. How does it do that? The Galatians were looking for some status that would make them okay. Jesus plus this makes me okay. To the Judaizers, it was Jesus plus Jewish customs and laws makes me okay. And this sets me apart from other people. Think carefully where you are thinking of something that sets you apart. Is there anything about you that sets you apart? And then what does that do in you when you think about how set apart you are? Does it not cause you to be, oh, you're polite on the outside, but aren't you a little conceited? Aren't you a little, Paul warns them, a little leaven impacts the whole, whole loaf, all the dough. So what's vitally important? To engage in ministry and to help create a gospel culture in a church? What's vitally important? Humility. And you know what produces humility? True gospel doctrine. You're not all that because of your ethnicity. Sorry. You're not all that because of your success in life. Sorry. You're not all that, and we can go through the whole list. None of this was put on the ledger for your, your gain. For we in those of us in Western societies, our way of doing ministry, our way of doing worship, our way, our way, our way, this communicates when you go to a non-Western country, it communicates we're not able to listen, to embrace another culture. And so, what does the gospel do? What has Paul done in Galatians? He has reminded them that it was sheer 
grace and mercy alone that got them in the door. And you are being renovated because of God's extraordinary love to you, and his love was not based on something you did. We have never been justified by anything except by sheer, simple faith in Jesus. And it's his righteousness, it's his beauty that is put on us like a coat. It's all borrowed. Everything about us that makes us beautiful is borrowed. And we're all that way, all of us. All of us. We're all the same. All the same. You have no pedigree. I have no pedigree. And Paul puts it this way, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. And he's look, he looked around in his world, and Paul, you could say, no, there's Jews there, and there's Greeks over there. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's talking about spiritually, there's neither slave nor free. The categories by which the world sees people. Don't we still live here? Yes, we do. There is no male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What's he trying to do there? He's trying to, he's trying to level their conceit. I have heard a few times uh, Scottish Presbyterians tell me about how they are Scottish Presbyterians. And they want me to know how many generations of Scottish Presbyterians. And I'm just glad I have a big cup of coffee and I'm just drinking it. And then uh, I'm telling you, Um, we're very, very clever in how we elevate ourselves in some way or another. And I would say largely blinded to it. Do you, do you remember, if you came to faith later in life, do you remember those days? Do you remember what those days were like? When you looked back on the life that you had created and you saw kind of the foolishness and you saw sort of, wow, I was, I was really blind to what's important. Wow. I, I own all that. See? Have you ever remembered well what it was like to enter into that humble place and to be perfectly fine with it? Have you ever been around? I had a friend, Guillermo, <clears throat> when I first became a believer at 19. Guillermo came, came out of a, just kind of a wild background. And I don't know if you've ever been around people who are really excited about telling about their former life <laughs> in these squeaky clean Christian groups, you know. And it's like, okay, let's, uh, let's move on to Galatians 4 now. Does that make sense? Because they are so willing to, to let it all out because they don't care. They don't care. It's so real. And they are, two things are happening just beautiful in their life. 
they don't have a lot of information, they don't have a lot of Bible knowledge, that, that's okay for right now. And here's what's going on, is they're expressing faith in a big Jesus, and they're expressing a lot of self-suspicion. Mm, See? When the Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart, Proverbs 22, they go, yeah, can I be first in line? Can I tell some stories? And these things, this, this functions as a dynamic and a power. Self-suspicion and faith in a big Jesus. Self-suspicion and faith in a big Jesus. And they make, they, they make progress and growth. And they, they mature and they go and they go and they go because they know that to be in the humble place is not to be in a shameful place. What happens to the churches in Revelation chapters 1 and 2? The majority of those churches are prideful. So, if let me just wrap this up by saying this. If we are to keep in step with the Spirit, we are to crucify the flesh. We are to, and I explained uh, a couple weeks ago, one aspect of that. That is that the flesh comes and presents itself with a demand. Like, let's say anger, fits of anger, inappropriate anger. The flesh screams at you and says, you better let me, you let me, come on, let me through, I'll fix this. You let me through. Let me talk. It's John Owen who said, no, you resist the flesh, pray, call up scripture, hold on, hang on. And the flesh's cry will diminish. And then a few moments later, the flesh will cry out again, what are you doing? I've always come through for you. What's going on? I can make this happen. I can get this, I can get this problem out of your life. Just let this anger speak. Second wave, diminished is power. Third wave, fourth wave, you by the spirit diminish the power of the flesh because it will come at you with such a force that you will believe that you have to obey it. But instead of asking how do we walk with the Spirit, which I think is part of the question, how does God walk with us? Or better said, who does God walk with? Who does God walk with? I love the image of walking. I mean, Adam and Eve, right? In Genesis, God walked with them. Now we have this, the restoration of the idea of walking. I love that picture. So who does God walk with? And Isaiah helps us here. Isaiah 57, to a prideful people, he says this, Isaiah 57, 15, and this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. Well, imagine, what would he say if he lives forever and his name is holy? What might he say? And who does he walk with? I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Contrite means to be bruised. And why does God walk with this person? Why does he dwell with them? And here's the point. This is Isaiah 57, 15. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Who's the one that God walks with? 
He walks with us, those who are lowly in spirit. And I would contend and recommend to you this idea that lowliness of spirit produces or is key to that gospel culture of a church. Some of us may feel like the flesh is too deeply entrenched, our long-held attitudes are too deeply rooted, and some of our habits of the heart, are they just feel like we, they're needed so we can just survive. I'm going to call upon you in your own way to say, Lord, I give up all these strategies, and these are strategies really of self-protection. And Lord, I am going to, if you are willing to go to the cross for me and to yield the Son of God, yielding all his comforts and his willingness to humbly serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Lord, I want to move into the power of that life because that is the direction the Spirit is leading us. The Spirit is leading us into the very Spirit of Jesus that you see written in the Gospel pages. And now I want to close. Do you feel the need for this? Do you feel the need to go to the lowly place? Someone once said, I think it was Jack Miller, he said that a pastor should stay long enough in a church to be humbled. That means all your bag of tricks, you know what I mean? All the fancy things, the conference idea that you got, and you, you know, and it kind of fell apart, you know. You should stay long enough to be humbled. Humbled to believe that, you know, um, your cleverness isn't going to build my church. Your dynamic personality, please, you know. Angels are going, no, not, a, not, not, not another one. You see, what does God do to a minister? He breaks down his pride so he can use the minister. <laughs> it's kind of basic. Imagine the kind of gospel culture that could be created here at Trinity. Not only for us, but for our community, see? Do you feel the need to go to the lowly place in your marriage? Do you feel the need to serve rather than rule over your children? Do you feel the need to honor others and not provoke or belittle them? I believe God will enrich us if we embrace poverty of spirit before him because that is the one God walks with. I want you to also remember that we are stumbling toward him. Good news. This is a hopeful message. If you are despairing, if you are overwhelmed by the flesh, if you are overwhelmed with sorrow, if there's, if there's a feeling like this can't happen, a revival of your heart is just feels distant, I would love to talk with you, pray with you. Not be. I would not be... Surprised if there is a just an entrenchment of, of of the flesh that you feel you can't win, wouldn't surprise me. And I hope you'll find grace to help you in your time of need. And we need each other in this. 
Let's pray. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Father, I would pray that we would want to walk with you. I thank you for the Lord's table that's here that reminds us of your tremendous humility that walked this earth. Uh, Father, forgive us for our pride. Father, the Spirit of God, his arrival on the earth at Pentecost was a big, big deal in the Old Testament. It was the moment of anticipation when the kingdom would arrive. 